0: I thought most of you had left already and forgot you had classes today, but it is good to have you worshiping with us, so thanks for coming to chapel this morning before spring break. Are you ready for spring break? Are you ready to go? <clears throat> it, has been a, uh, it has been a tough start to the semester, and uh, I know you're not going to like this announcement, but due to all the classes we've missed, we have to cancel spring break, and uh, you have to attend class next week, so please make any changes. That's okay. No one fell for it, anyway. I thought it was funny. Well, as we go to the Lord in worship this morning, I want to start by reading Psalm 19. We want to pray for our baseball team. I know they left this morning. Maybe the softball team uh, left as well. Uh, we have a group of students going to Ireland in the business department. There's a class. We have a, yeah, we can applaud for the Ireland trip. We pray uh, for your safety. We have a group going to Florida. We have a group going to Haiti. And I also recognize that a lot of you are going home. And uh, you can some many hopefully celebrate that. For some, you're not looking forward to that uh, for many reasons. Uh, for whatever the reason may be, um, so we want to pray for you as well. I know that actually spring break can be a very very difficult time, and you'd almost rather not go home. And if you find yourself in that situation, we just want to pray for you this morning and know that we'll be praying for you through the week. So regardless if you're going home or going to Haiti or going to Florida for spring training, uh, you have a call upon your life. God is with you wherever you go. Never forget that, to know that this community loves you and prays for you, and we'll pray for a safe return for all of us as we gather back after spring break. I want to start with Psalm 19 as our call to worship, and it's a powerful psalm that begins with the big and the grand and the glories of God and then moves to the very simple. It starts with how the heavens declare the glory of God, and then in the middle of the chapter, around verse 7, you'll see how the Word of God is good and perfect And then at the very end of the psalm, we see it saying, May the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to God. And all aspects of that, from the heavens declaring the glory of God, to the word of God declaring the glory of God, to the words that you speak, all of that is holy. And so as we have our call to worship this morning, will you please stand for the reading of Psalm 19 as our call to worship this morning. Hear the word of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb by them your servant is warned in keeping them there is great reward but who can discern their own errors forgive our hidden faults keep your servants also from willful sins may they not rule over us then i will be blameless innocent of great transgressions may the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight O lord our rock and our redeemer heavenly father as we gather to worship you before we begin our spring break we pray again, as we always do, that you will be glorified in every note that is sung, every prayer that is offered, and every word that is spoken. I pray you blessing upon your blessing upon each student here at ENC over this spring break. I pray for your hand of protection. I pray for traveling mercies, and I pray whether they're playing softball in Florida or, or working with others, working with children in Florida, or going to Haiti or going home, that that they all recognize the holy calling you have over their life. And may they know that you are with them and care for them and love them. So bless them wherever we're going our separate ways in these next few hours. And of course, Lord, we pray you bring us back safely together. We pray these things now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.
1: The word gospel translates to news that brings joy. But this isn't just any news. A gospel is news that changes a life forever. After being invaded and enslaved by Persia, Greece won two decisive battles at Marathon and Solnus. The Greeks sent out heralds, also called evangelists, to proclaim the good news to the cities. We have fought for you. We have won. And now, you're no longer slaves, you're free. The reality is that we are all slaves, slaves to sin and slaves to death. We are slaves in need of good news. Enter Jesus, God's Son, fully God, fully man, bringing news that would change our lives forever. His news was this, I am the divine, come to you to do what you could not do for yourself. I will take what you deserve, so you can have what I deserve. You have no idea how much it will cost me, but you also cannot imagine the depths of my love for you. It is a gift that I give freely, so repent, repent. Repent from all the ways you've run from me and follow me. Follow me because I am the only way to eternal life. Follow me because I'm the Savior you've been looking for. Follow me because I have authority over everything, yet I have humbled myself for you. Follow me because I died on a cross for you, because I'm your true love and your true life. This is my good news for you. This is my gospel that you have been saved by grace, and that you are slaves no more.
0: Amen. Before I read the passage from 1 Corinthians, yes, before I read the passage from 1 Corinthians this morning, I wanted you to hear that that quick, powerful summary, if you will, of, of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you do not need to live as a slave, that you can be free, you can be forgiven if you but turn to God. But for many, and at the church in Corinth where this letter was being written to, they thought this message that we just heard was foolish. They thought it was ridiculous. And so Paul, writing to the church of Corinth, says this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved by it Is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believed. Jews demanded signs, and Greeks looked for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and, the fo- and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And a little bit, in the brief message I'm going to share in a few moments, I'm going to be really challenging those who have already chosen to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask and challenge them, are they living as a fool for Christ? This message may seem foolish, but it is the way to be made right with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Hear the Gospel of our Lord this morning. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus has spoken gospel of our Lord. Heavenly Father, your word has been spoken. We have heard from the psalmist and the epistle and, and now the good news Jesus Christ. May we learn what you want us to learn this morning, Lord. And may we live as fools for Jesus Christ. We pray these things now in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. You may be seated. It is Passover in Jerusalem, and it was required by law that all Jewish males within a 15-mile radius needed to be in Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. However, by this time, Jews really were all over the world, and they at least wanted once to be in Jerusalem for the Passover, for this celebration. So some have estimated that there were well over 2 million people in Jerusalem at times like this. Very crowded. Very crowded. And it is here in this text, it is here that we see the, the righteous anger of God. And make no mistake about it, Jesus was angry. And there are several reasons for this. We can't go into all of them, but let me just mention a few. Jesus was angry because people were being robbed. People were being exploited. When all they wanted to do was worship. Worship. You see, a sacrifice was required, a sheep, a goat, a pigeon. Some form of sacrifice was required for the Passover as you entered the temple and, and you had to get approval for your sacrifice that it was good enough to enter the temple. And if you were traveling from a great distance, you couldn't bring a lamb or a sheep or a dove, so you'd have to purchase one in the temple courts. And in the temple courts, these money changers and these sellers of sacrifices were charging 10 times, 20 times what they should have been charging. So imagine if, if you're poor or if you're a widow with children or you're just trying to be faithful to your faith and honor what is expected of you and you are being exploited in the very, the very house of God. So Jesus was angry. And then those who actually did bring a, a sheep or a goat or a pigeon, they had to get clearance that this was a good enough sacrifice, that it was clean enough, that it was, that it was, that it was sufficient for the sacrifice required. And wouldn't you know it that they would say, no, I'm sorry, this... This sacrifice is not, not good enough. You're going to have to buy one inside, inside the temple courts. So people were being exploited. Not only that, if they were coming from a different country, they had to exchange their money because there was a temple tax. And when they exchanged their money, naturally there would be a fee. And the fee again, 10, 20, 30 times more than what they should have been charging. But they were doing it in the name of God. So they were being exploited and robbed in the name of God when all they're trying to do is be faithful to their faith. So Jesus was angry. Make no mistake about it. Jesus was angry. When people exploit others in the name of their religion, when people exploit others in the name of Jesus, it angers our Lord. Still today. Still today. There is another reason. Like I said, there are several. Some say that he was frustrated that they were still offering sacrifices. And we can go on to to a list of things. But I just wanted to touch upon these two. One, we know they were being exploited and robbed. The other thing is that they were putting up barriers from people wanting to worship God. You see, the temple consisted of a series of courts leading into the temple, leading into the most holy place. There was the first court, which was the court of the Gentiles. And Gentiles could go no further. They could only go into that outer court. After that, there would be the court of the women, and then the court of the Israelites, and then the court of the priests at at the inner sanctum. But the Gentiles could only go into that first temple court, and that's where all of this was taking place. So here are people wanting to draw closer to God, Gentiles wanting to reach out to God, wanting to worship God, going to the place of worship, and then there are people selling sheep and doves and money changers and people being exploited. They are putting up barriers from people wanting to worship God. And that angered Jesus. It was a righteous anger. You see, anytime we put up obstacles, anytime we put up barriers of people coming to know him, of people wanting to truly worship, even if they're not sure what it looks like or the prayers to pray or what they're supposed to do when they enter into the place of worship. Even if they don't know, if we put up barriers or obstacles or make it difficult for them, it angers our Lord. So the question, and I, in all honesty, up until yesterday, I was going in a completely different direction with this message, but this is what hit me, and I've read this text before and preached from this text before, but the question that I've been wrestling with Is Have you been putting up barriers for people that are wanting to come to Jesus? Have you been putting up barriers? Are you a hindrance? Because remember, if they're in the temple courts and they're selling, the the priests are the ones that are giving clearance whether the sacrifice is acceptable. Uh, They were leaders in the temple. They were the money changers and, and selling the sacrifice. I mean, these were leaders in the religious system of the day and they were putting up barriers. Are we doing the same today? Think about it in simple forms first, if you will. Think about people that have never been to church before that, that know that church has something for them or they're, they're, they've entered a crisis and they know they're supposed to reach out to God and they don't know how to reach out to God. So in times of crisis, they simply know they're supposed to go to church. I'm sure that many of us in this room know of people like that, when they hit crisis, they don't know what else to do, so they... They go to church. Think about how uncomfortable and frightening that must be if they don't know what they're supposed to do as if they are supposed to do something other than just enter in and worship. Think about the long walk from the parking lot if your church has a parking lot or think about people that I've heard it several times. I don't have clothes nice enough for churches. Is what I'm wearing acceptable? Is there anything that I need to do? Is there any procedure or ritual I need to go through? How much do I need to put in the offer and pray? All these these barriers or challenges. And people get nervous and don't want to go to church. I give you that simple example to share with you that in your faith community, in your church, make sure you're welcoming those. Make sure you're welcoming the first-time visitor or those who look a little out of place or those who look like they may not be familiar with the surroundings. Welcome them and make them feel loved and, and break down any barriers or fears they may be having. But let's take it outside the church context now. What about people that are wanting to take steps of faith towards Jesus and are turned away or turned off by the way other Christians are living? What if they're wanting to actually make a decision and what if they're actually wanting Jesus in their life but when they look at followers of Jesus it becomes a barrier because the way you're living is not what their understanding of Jesus really is. You are proclaiming a message one way, but you are living another. I think this is a very challenging word for Christian college campuses. Especially for Christian college campuses like ENC, where you do not need to be a Christian to come here. You do not need to fill out a statement of faith. You do not need to write out a testimony, which is actually not very common when it comes to Christian colleges. And from the very beginning, from when we started, we believe we are a school for all and that when students arrive, they will experience, we pray, and come to a place where they will have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I am thankful for that mission of our college. But understand the challenge that puts on you, those who are followers of Christ, those who have come from Christian homes. Think about how your life is a testimony to those who have not yet decided to follow. Is it possible... That the way that you have been living, proclaiming one thing but living another, is putting up a barrier from someone deciding to say, yes, Lord Jesus, I will follow. Anne Marie Cox is an American author and blogger. She's the founding editor, editor of the political blog Wonk It. She is currently the Washington correspondent for GQ magazine and is lead blogger on U.S. politics for The Guardian. And on February 28th, just a week or two ago, she did something very radical where she announced in an article in the Daily Beast that she has come out as a Christian. The title of her article was Why I'm Coming Out as a Christian, and the subtitle was I'm Not Scared That non-believers Will Make Me Feel Like an Outcast. I'm scared that Christians will make me feel like an Outcast. And in this article, where she comes out publicly in her, of her faith in Christ, as she shares, I try every day to give my life and my will over to God, I try to be like Christ, I get down on my knees and pray. Still very early and new in her faith, but she's worried that other Christians will tell her and view her and say to her, that's not good enough. You're not doing it right, or you need to change this view, or that political view, or you need to do this or that, and so she's more feared that she's not going to be good enough as a Christian by what other Christians say, not what the non-Christians say. And the text that we read from 1 Corinthians had mentioned that we understand it as a fool for those who are perishing. And we also understand something about this foolishness because the scriptures also tell us that we are to live in a way as if we are fools for Christ. So are you a fool for Christ? Or are you just acting like a fool? Proclaiming that you are a follower of Christ but living a very different message. Proclaiming to live one way as a Christian but living in another when others are around. We can, this can happen in many different ways. Uh, the, it's interesting today, all the texts that I read today are part of the, the church calendar for Lent, for this Sunday. And that Psalm 19 always challenges me. You've heard me pray it before. May the words of our mouths and the meditation of our heart be pleasing in your sight. Have you been living as a fool for Christ and making sure the words of your mouth are holy? Making sure you do not give in to the gossip and slander making sure you do not give in to profanity. Our prayer requests at times can even be gossip. Have you noticed? We're not really seeking intervention for one who is suffering. We're just trying to build ourselves up and tear someone else down, all in the name of Jesus, so let's pray for them. So have you been living as a fool for Christ or just acting like a fool? Has your language been foolish? Whether in conversation or whether online? Is your lifestyle any different? And I'm not talking—we all make mistakes. I'm not talking about the mistakes that we made, we make along the way. I won't name the the married couple I'm talking about, but last winter, the uh, wife, while doing the laundry, threw her husband's favorite sweater in the dryer and ruined it. That was a mistake. The gracious, humble, incredible Christ-like man that he was, forgave her. And I'm keeping this anonymous because I don't want you to figure out who it is. (laughs) Not two weeks ago, after this Christ-like husband had purchased two more sweaters, and he buys his sweaters in the summer when they're on sale and was really thankful for the sweaters that he had purchased. Two of them. Two of them thrown in the dryer again. (laughs) And being the Christ-like man that he is, (laughs) has forgiven her because mistakes happen. And then think of this unnamed unnamed husband. Not only his humility and Christ-like demeanor, but the fact maybe he should be doing his own laundry anyway. So mistakes happen, is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) But what about lifestyles? How you are choosing to live. Choosing to make decisions, yet you proclaim the name of Jesus, yet you're choosing to make decisions which destroy your body and destroy community. And I'd like to tell you today that that puts up a barrier to those who do not yet know him. That is an obstacle because it does not resonate with the good news of Jesus Christ if you are proclaiming one thing and living another. Are you living as a fool for Christ? Are you afraid that others will think you're foolish so you don't want to live as a fool for Christ? So you participate instead in, in just being foolish. Have you been living as a fool for Christ and not care what other people think? making sure your life is proclaiming the message you claim to believe? Or have you been a fool as a Christian and living in a way that may actually be deterring people from coming to know Jesus? I need to let you know today that on the authority of his word, if you are living that way and it's putting barriers and obstacles from people coming to know him, that angers our Lord. That angers our Lord. Now, it is a righteous anger. And a righteous anger means that you can find redemption. And a righteous anger means that you can be forgiven and redeemed. And a righteous anger means that you can come to repentance and begin to live your life truly as a fool for Christ. There are those moments in my own life when I think back on things that I've done and mistakes that I've made and people that I hurt where I actually cringe. Where I actually physically, I just feel it or there'll be some sort of verbal sign... And And Edie's even caught me at times when I'm driving, she'll see me cringe or do something, and she's like, oh, what are you thinking of now? And all I can do in those moments where I know I've hurt people, while at the same time I was claiming to be a follower of Christ, all I can do in those moments is pray for the grace of God to come behind me. We know that the grace of God is present now. We know that the grace of God will be with us in the future. But you know it's okay to pray for the grace of God to follow behind you. Yes, it was a righteous anger. Which means that we can be redeemed and forgiven. I have a new spoken word poet, Michael Bourne. And I'd like to share with you one of his poems this morning. That will help us and help me even in my message this morning.
2: in the name of jesus amen do you feel something something tingling in your stomach no no but i appreciate the prayer And I meant that. I really did. It was a kind gesture, an expression of sympathy. And I believe in God and all. But did she really expect something to change right then? Abracadabra, amen, be healed on the spot. My God, what is wrong with this girl? What a fool. What a fool to think my pain would disappear. What a fool to think her prayers were any different than the dozens, hundreds, thousands of faithful saints who've laid hands on me and rebuked this disease in the name of Jesus. What a fool. What a fool to pray with expectation. Like she actually thought God would hear and respond. It's these kind of Christians that make us all look crazy. You know The ones with faith. Too much faith. The ones convinced that God grants supernatural power. The ones who look like fools for Christ and don't mind what anyone thinks. The ones whose prayers go unanswered, yet they keep praying, keep hoping, keep asking, do you feel? The ones who feel. The ones who know God with more than their mind. The the ones who don't waste time picking fights with atheists but go to war on their knees. The ones who lean not on their own understanding. The ones who serve a God that doesn't bow to human rationale but uses the fool to shame the wise. The weak to shame the strong. Those who are not to bring to nothing those who are. And how far I have come. After four years of theological training. Constant reading to appease my philosophical cravings. My thoughts about God are intelligent. My belief is a kind unbelievers can respect. Not the ignorance of simple faith. Not the type to get you mocked. Persecuted. Crucified. My religion is safe. And I wonder how I got so lost. And I wonder who's the fool after all? The one who prays, the one who waits, the one who dies, believing God is on his way. Or the one who prays, never expecting him to come.
0: Let us pray. As I've wrestled with how to close this morning, we will just close with Micah's poem. And spend a moment of silence. And allowing me to challenge you that as we go our separate ways this spring break, that you go and be a fool for Christ. You go and be a fool for Christ with a simple faith that is far from simplistic. That you go and be a fool for Christ and live countercultural. That you go and be a fool for Christ and care for the least of these. That you go and maybe at times with a righteous anger, speak up for those who are voiceless, manipulated, robbed, when all they're trying to do is draw closer to God. Go and be a fool for Christ and in this name that you carry upon yourself of Christian, may you truly live it out in all areas of this community, in all areas of your home, in all areas of our world. So, Eastern Nazarene College, I call you to go and be a fool for Christ. Father, forgive us. Forgive me. And they even come to mind right now. For the words that I have spoken. For the actions that I have taken. That hurt others that very well In fact, I know we're trying to draw closer to you. So I pray that your grace follows behind. And for everyone in this sanctuary this morning, I pray that your grace follows behind them as well. If they have any regrets, any remorse, may your grace follow behind and bring healing and wholeness and restoration to any pain or hurt they may have caused another. And I also pray that they go in the power of the Holy Spirit to truly live as a fool for Christ Jesus. Oh, give us that power through your Spirit, we pray. And may we have enough foolish faith to know that you will do it and that you will be with us.